this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash treat your shelf to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treat yourself. This is the Book Riot Podcast, the weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 280. We're recording on Friday, September 28th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. I have had puke in my house from various <laughs> mouths over the last couple of days. I told Rebecca earlier, I feel like a frayed shoelace. I, I feel like I look like a frayed shoelace. That's, that's where I am. I just put, get, put yeah. my cards on the table. I feel like I have puke in my soul from the week. Oh, so yeah, yeah we're just, week. let's just all be frayed shoelaces together. But we, but we, at least we have this terrible time together. That, that's <laughs> <what we laughs> at least this. this is true. Like 2018 misery loves company. <laughs> that's true. Or misery, but at least you have company. Maybe that's another <laughs> way. Uh, well, anyway, you want let's do a, let's do our first uh, sponsor on the show here, sponsor. and we'll get into. We got an interesting follow up actually. In fact, yeah. I hit you with one I thought you knew, but you didn't. So I'm I curious didn't. to see what you did. Okay. Yeah, our first sponsor this week is Vampires Like It Hot by Lindsay Sands. This is a book in which vampires are real, but Jess would not have believed it until she saw them with her own eyes. She knows she has to get off the island, and her gallant rescuer has offered to help. There's something about Raphael that's unlike any man she's ever met, and his touch sends pleasure through her that is beyond all imagining. But when she discovers who he really is, will she risk life as she knows it for a chance of forever? by his side. Lindsay Sands is a New York Times bestselling author. And in this book, Vampires Like It Hot, she is bringing the heat. It's the newest Arginot novel. This is a series that she writes. As one woman is rescued by an irresistible immortal, a Caribbean paradise is infested by vicious vampire pirates. And her only option is to escape by jumping into shark-infested waters. But luckily, Raphael is there to pull her to safety. This is a perfect paranormal romance if you're looking to extend the feeling of summer. And it's great for anyone who loves funny, witty romance novels. Again, that is Vampires Like It Hot by Lindsay Sands. You can find it wherever books are sold or click a link in our show notes. Please tell me they call them vampirates. If they don't, that's a real missed opportunity. If, I don't know. I should if if that's not taken, um, <laughs> vampirates of the know, Caribbean would be awesome. Fantasy. If there is like any shred of goodness left in the world, they're called vampirates. I need that. They have that. to be it called. Just, they have. To, it if, it, to and be if you've real. read the book or you're going to read the book and it's not true, don't tell us. Let us please live in don't. This yeah, let me just. I want to hold on to that illusion. Also, vampirates would be like a great campy children's book or like a cartoon mm. series yeah that would I'm, be that'd be nice yeah i'm into this okay 
All right. So Surprise me, Jeff. We we didn't cover this, though I feel like we should have, which is why I brought it up before the show. And I asked Rebecca, would you like to talk about this? And she's like, I didn't know that happened. So here we go. This is from the – there'll be a link in the show notes, but this news was September 17th. So it's not that long ago. I guess it was two shows ago as the crow flies because that's how crows fly through podcast episodes. Um, anyway, Haruki Murakami has withdrawn – from the new Academy Prize that's also being called the alternate Nobel because he said in a statement um, that his preference is to concentrate on his writing away from media attention. The new Academy regrets but respects his decisions. Hmm. Um, And that's really all that was said. I was... I'm not sure what to... I still am not really sure what to make of this. I guess my first reaction is... Does being nominated for this like cost him a lot of time? I like maybe he's getting he's fielding requests for interviews, or he's feeling mm. like he's distracted. I, I don't know. Maybe it's this kind of a week where I'm reading everyone's public statements with like I'm actually reading the opposite of what you're saying. Out, I'm just assuming the opposite of what you're saying is true uh, for most people. Not everyone, I should say. But so I just it felt weird. Like I, I don't know. Is that what, what do you think? Mm. This you're, I'm hitting you the first time. You've had. Twenty seconds to to digest this. So what's oh, your first? Oh yes, well you know how reaction? I like to speculate, though. Yes, um, right. I wonder if he's worried that if he won this and accepted it, it would hurt his chances at the actual Nobel. Like, that's interesting. Like you know, presumably it wouldn't be it wouldn't be shocking if the actual Nobel Committee, when they get around to existing in some sort of functional capacity <laughs> again <laughs> which which hold hold that thought that's a big if right? but yeah we if, have a story coming yeah anyway yeah if they get around to functioning again who knows how they feel about the oh, presence of this alternative idea. nobel but it was created as an essentially an act of protest to what was mm. happening with the nobel committee and it's a i think it could be perceived as a middle finger um to the nobel committee i don't know that that's the intention but i do believe it could be perceived that way and i think it's possible that murakami who as we have talked about has been one of the like the odds makers always have yeah, him on the list right, right? like he yeah, might yeah, be concerned yeah. that were he to stay involved or were he to to win it and accept it, there might be some uh-huh. resentment on the part of the Nobel Committee um, to give him the actual Nobel. That That is my 22nd uh, guess. So I guess that's a cynical reading only insofar as you don't believe what he actually <laughs> says. But, but I mean, it's not like he thinks they're garbage or he's protesting their protest or something. It's more, it's right. more like game theory of some kind. Like if, he's, if you're an actor, it's like you're, if you're offered the Flash, but if you take it, you know you can't get the Superman role. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do, you take, do you do that? Which I guess I could understand. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the I don't think it's untrue that his preference is to concentrate on his writing away from media attention. I think most writers, that's their preference. It just, that may not be the full truth about their, like, that's maybe not the full reason for this decision. If he wins the Nobel Prize, he doesn't pick up the phone and say, you know what, dudes, thank you so much, but I'm right. going to focus on my writing. Hang right. Up. I really don't want any media <laughs> I, I think, attention. I think you're right about that. I, think, <laughs> I, think, I believe this mm. statement is true. I don't believe it is the true statement at the heart of why he's not participating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know if that changes our... When we did sort of um, Jeff and Rebecca's uh, very sketchy odds-making on who was going to win, we thought maybe Murakami and Gaiman may split the 
if there is a contingent of voters that's going to vote for a brand name, more of a brand name, mm-hmm. that maybe they would split them in one of the other um, two nominees, uh, Conde or Tay, would, would come through. I don't know if this changes this or not. Um, I w- was thinking that Murakami was the front runner mm-hmm. because he is a brand name. Also, more in the conversation for this kind of award than Gaiman historically been. Do you hear the disclaimers and couching in my mm-hmm. voice there? Mm-hmm. Now I'm not sure. I think I think maybe um, Conde Arte has a better chance now. That's my sense. Of, I mean, of yeah, course they have a better so chance too. just mm-hmm. from straight. There's three rather than four. Right. Um, I thought it was a fascinating kind of a thing. I mean, Murakami is so famous that is it, does it really register as a change in the media attention to him? I, I guess I was trying to parse it on face value, but I think I like your reading better you as know, a conspiracy theory. It's not really conspiracy. It's just, is there no, something? If, if he just withdrew guy. and he said no statement, if he withdrew with no statement, what would you think? I think that would be the most... Generous is the wrong word, but perceptive. That's a very perceptive reading of what's going on. Yeah, I think if he withdrew with no statement, like that runs the risk of, oh, he's throwing shade at the alternative Nobel, or mm-hmm. oh, he doesn't want to be associated with it. So there's like, I think you can read some damage control into the statement of like, he's making it clear that it's not that he has an issue with the alternate Nobel Mm -hmm. or that he doesn't want to, he's not saying like, Oh, you know, take my name off this. I don't want to be part of it. Um, if you just withdraw from a thing with no statement, many people will make Mm -hmm. that assumption that you just don't want to be associated with the thing. So he's made a nice statement. That's not about the alternate Nobel at all. It's about not Mm -hmm. wanting media attention. It's about wanting to focus on writing. And I believe he wants to do those things, but those are not the, I think those are not the only concerns he has about this or that it's possible. It's a canny, like it's a canny move. If I wanted to win the Nobel, Bell, I would also take myself out of the running for something well, I, <laughs> that, that I, I thought. Thinking, that's what I, like, I think you're essentially right about that. Like if he won this and the Nobel comes back next year, yeah, I would be shocked if it didn't at least marginally affect his chance of winning it. Why? Just because I just feel like that's that kind of makes sense to me to some... I guess the other thing I hadn't realized until you were speculating in this way is were, were these four nominees like given a chance to bow out in some early... like? Did they? Uh, they just sort of mm. got nominated, and now suddenly there's all this attention around it. Like, did yeah. anyone ask them? Like, I mean, that seems kind of weird to say, well, but like, this did get a lot of attention, and maybe he really I didn't. Mean, he really didn't I mean, want like, this. The assumption tends to be that you're glad for any extra attention that you right. can get around your work. You know, like the National Book Foundation doesn't give people the chance to opt out of being nominated for the National Book Award. Right. Um, like it, you get nominated by the process and then you find out. And if you want to take yourself out of the running for whatever reason, you can. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the working assumption is people will be glad for this exposure. It's hard out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I guess that's he's he's he and Gaiman in this situation, I would think, mm-hmm. would be the two that they don't need. I mean, they don't need money, I wouldn't think. They don't right. need more media attention. So. It is kind of weird. It's a it's an unusual situation, and this was an unusual development. Um, I I really didn't even consider that they these these writers may not <laughs> want this. Um, and for whatever for whatever reason, let alone a, a more um, nefarious. I keep I'm keep I'm, I'm being yeah. More it's hard to uh, not nefarious, but calculated a more calculated reason. right. Yeah, and I think um, you know if you're 
Kim Twee, like this is probably a great opportunity. Like she, yeah. she doesn't have the exposure that Murakami and Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. have. We certainly underestimated the exposure that she has, as we've heard from many of our Canadian readers. Well, and, the Canadians know her. Yeah, that's that yeah, like and Canadian, U.S. The, the, and the U.S. Quebecois readers know yeah, her. Yeah, and the U.S. readers who do a better job with international literature than the two of us do. So we like the two of us underestimated uh, her recognizability, but. Not nearly as recognizable. There's not much. There's not the same name brand recognition as Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. or Murakami. She's also not likely to end up in contention for the actual Nobel. Um, it doesn't yeah, sound I mean, like who knows. So this right. is great exposure and participating. Likely doesn't cost her any future chance at mm-hmm. you know at the real McCoy. Um, but I, I think that if I were just yeah. guessing. I think that's what's going right. on. Right. I think you're I think you're right about that. Um let's do some other oh, speak, why don't you take me through this other Nobel related follow-up that we have? Sure. So, um the Nobel Prize in Literature, the plan originally was it wouldn't be awarded this year in 2018, but they were going to award two in 2019. However, it now is saying, like the news now says that the Nobel Prize for Literature will not be awarded in 2019 unless trust is restored in the scandal-plagued Swedish Academy. And this is according to the Nobel Foundation's executive director. Mm -hmm. Um, And this has happened just a few weeks after uh, the... Oh, you know what? This link that I am reading, Mm -hmm. I just realized, (laughs) I just came across this morning in a news roundup, but it's from May. (laughs) Hmm. Well, I don't know that we've covered it. We can talk about it. But basically, one thing we speculated, especially in the episode of Annotated we did, I'll put a link in the show notes Mm -hmm. that was about this, and now it's even a little dated because it's not wrong information, just more has happened since then. We, We wondered, or we wrote into that show, you know, the, the, the Nobel Foundation is where the buck, well, I guess the buck starts. <laughs> the bucks start at the, the, sweet, the Nobel Foundation. If they ever decided that they wanted some other body to award the prize, that was interesting. The Swedish Academy is not um, a universe unto itself in this situation. And this was the first inkling, the rumblings we heard from the Nobel Foundation mm-hmm. that they weren't just going to go down with the ship. Like this was not, some line had been crossed when they wanted to say, you got to get your house in order or we're going to pull the plug on this particular thing. So it's an older, but I don't think we talked about it on the show. Yeah, I don't think we talked about it. And there's not a measure or an indication in this piece of how they're going to determine that trust has been reestablished, which I haven't seen. As we said, they're, they're, they're in a bylaw. Yeah. They're they're whole. I mean, that's the problem. They can't change anything. Yeah, that's they can't change anything. But also, like, short of I don't know, actually polling people, like how how do you like? <laughs> I'm yeah, way know. deep in a West Wing rewatch, and there's a lot of polling happening. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how do you determine that public trust has been restored to an organization? at a level that's sufficient to say, let's bring back this award. And it's been interesting that like we haven't seen any real further discussion about what's going on with the Nobel Prize Academy since, Mm-mm. or with the committee since the spring. So yes, this piece I just realized is from May, but it's interesting that this, I think they're probably still in this cycle of trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do. Um, and if they can magically make the bylaws work, um, will that be enough to to bring it back? Or are you still in damage control PR about how it's better? Um, man, I would hate to be the publicist for the Nobel Prize in Literature. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I mean, they they voted in themselves into this particular. But I only, I feel sort of bad, but not bad for the Nobel. Oh yeah, I, I think yeah. the the weird bylaw stuff is an unfortunate. They can't even clean house and start over if they want to. I mean, they, that's the real catch twenty two of the situation. Like sometimes you see in this kind of a situation where you just. You, what's what's the, the Papa? Just get rid of Papa John. That guy's a jerk. Let's get rid of him. Right. We're going to still have a company, but he's gone. But they can't even do that and replace. It's such a weird situation. Again, if you're interested in this at all, do listen to our um, episode called "The Nobel and Cries of Annotated." I'll put a link in the show notes there. Um, you have listener follow about sending books to prisons without a link. Did you have something you were going to pass? Oh on yeah, I, well that? I do just have info from a couple yeah. folks um, from the insider Slack and the Bookwright contributor Slack. I heard from several people who have experience both on the book selling side, sending books into prisons, and working in correctional. Uh, folks who've worked in correctional facilities have said that sort of the guesses we were making last week about like wouldn't books be searched were accurate mm. at least according to these people's experience. They have said yes, every book is opened and searched like things aren't just going in but also one per one individual sending books to a specific individual is not a thing that occurs in prisons Ah, usually like if you want to donate books to a prison you have to donate them to uh, an organization that gathers them and the organization gets the whole donation together and takes it to the prison and then all of those books are searched and gone through so from probably Mm -hmm. half a dozen different people i got feedback about various angles of that that all came to the same conclusion of um, what's going on in pennsylvania is not about about preventing drugs from getting into prisons it's a racket about uh, getting mm-hmm. getting prisoners in a situation where if they want to read they have to buy expensive technology and expensive ebooks and for essentially one of the many problems of for-profit prisons um, but several thank you to the birdies who um, thank you filled me in with all of your experience there it's a not a great thing to have confirmed but nice to know um What's going on? Ebook there? pricing. Let me tell you, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Boy, how about you? Know, you, t- you know when for-profit prison company companies that are <laughs> work with prisons on a for-profit basis look to ebook pricing <laughs> as, a, as a as a as a margin generator that we've got we've got a real problem with ebook pricing. <laughs> so this is the arrow in the ebook pricing argument quiver that you have been waiting for. <laughs> I mean, the, the quiver The quiver's a forest. I don't even need a quiver. I just pick up sticks and just lay around. It's horrible. <laughs> I can't even talk about it. I really can't. People try, people try to goad me. No, I don't think they're trying to goad me on Twitter and in, insiders or email, but they'll like screenshot a picture mm-hmm. in the ebook. They're like, Jeff, what do you think of this? Like, you know what I think of this. I do. I think this should all be yep, This you is know. all gone. Yeah, you know. Uh, this is, why don't you tell us about... pricing and those, those, um, those books that we're bearing in Norwegian forests. Those are the two that you can get me going anytime. <laughs> I don't like either of those things. You know what I'm talking about. Those 100-year books. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I do. That All right, let's do you, a Blade So Black, another sponsor. sponsor. Yeah, yeah let me get, I need a way out. How do we get out of this? Uh, sponsors is a good way to do it. A Blade So Black is sponsoring this week's show by L.L. McKinney. A Blade So Black delivers an irresistible urban fantasy retelling of Alice in Wonderland, but it's not the Wonderland you remember. This reimagining of the classic story perfectly balances a fun, action-packed romance with weighty themes like race, forgiveness, grief, and loyalty. Alice is a relatable, funny young woman of color who is all business when it comes to saving her friends. She slays nightmares and navigates a dangerous magical realm, meeting every obstacle with the edge of a blade or a witty quip. Angie Thomas calls her Black Girl Magic Personified. Plus, the Wonderland cast has been reimagined in fun, inventive ways, from a young David Bowie-type Mad Hatter to a narcoleptic potion-brewing bartender as the Caterpillar. 
readers of fantasy, action-adventure, and romance will devour this richly layered story set against a dark, lush dream world. That is the Blade, A Blade, A Blade So Black by L.L. McKinney. Thanks to them for sponsoring this week's show. I have one more follow-up before we get to, to other um, news stories about um, the new Barnes & Noble. Mm. We've got a birdie in Columbia that's going to go in Columbia, Maryland. But also, one of our canny uh, UK-based readers sent a, a link to an image of a, the new Waterstones format that they're doing over there, and boy, does it look similar. Mm-hmm. Like It looks like this is a, a, some one of the places where the places... They're kind of converging around this kind of idea. Um, anyway, also Michelle says, I don't know what wide wide, um, wide plank wood floors are. Guilty as charged, I don't know. Apparently, it has to be much wider than we have there. That was her criticism. Um, but I think it's interesting that those two places are coming, coming up with the same solution to that problem of how do we make our store feel, I don't know, more, I guess more modern but more welcoming. Just let it compete better. Uh, in the larger world, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of incredulity about the Amazon Go three thousand store situation. Mm-hmm. Everyone sort of said the <laughs> you know random typing of words keyboard reaction that we had. <laughs> um, we got news this week. I don't think we put it in the show notes. Oh, you did down. The, I was just going to jump here. You put it in the show notes this new yep. Amazon concept store that only sells products with four star ratings and above. That's going to be opening in Soho in New York City. Basically, it's not any particular theme or anything. It's just everything in the store has a four-star rating or above. Let's put to the side the fact that ratings can be gamed and all that kind of stuff. But another Amazon physical retail volley um, in this ongoing war. What did you think about that? You know, I think it's interesting. One of the things we were talking about when we were talking about Amazon Go was I was saying like, you know, that there's some appeal to the idea of having limited choices um, instead of standing in Target and looking at like 17 brands of face wash. What if there were just a couple? Um, Amazon using the massive amounts of data that they have to show mm-hmm. you products that are highly rated makes a lot of sense. Um, it says here that they're doing uh, customer electronics, kitchen, home, and toys, and that they will also sell um, top-selling products and products that are new and trending. I think, I mean, it makes sense to me how they're going to stock this store. Somebody yeah. was like, wait, I thought they were calling these things Amazon Go. And it was like, no, they're doing multiple. <laughs> yeah, what's physical... it even called? Do you know? Did, what's the new uh, the name? The sign looks like the, there's an image in the link that we have from Fast Company that's a sign that just has four stars on it. Um, but I don't know if that is the sign from the store or if it's just like a oh, sign. Oh, stock with... image. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's from Unsplash, actually. So it's probably just a stock image. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it doesn't say what they're going to call it. The thing that I don't understand about this is if I if I want to know what a four star vacuum cleaner is, why do I need to hoof it into an actual store when I could just look on Amazon? Yeah, and do you know they're going to have vacuum cleaners or like, whatever? Right? It's just yeah. Four star, yeah. Like what is it? Or like, like if I need be? a if I'm like I need a look. Yeah, like I need a blender. Yeah. You know what blender <laughs> right. should what blender should I get? Why would I go to mm. the store instead of just looking on Amazon.com from the comfort of my couch? Is that's the confusing yeah. thing about this to me? Or is it just is it supposed to be like a place you just go to browse for browsing sake? Like what's in here? Like kind of a you mm-hmm. know a, what's it called Skinner box of just sort of a the surprise. You don't know what's going to be yeah. in there. You go to browse. I think that's really interesting, but it did occur to me, and we now have three different Amazon f- 
physical store attempts, experiments, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not counting the Whole Foods acquisition because Whole Foods is a, is a thing. We have the go, we have the bookstores, and now we have this, which I think is a really interesting, now, three data points, you can make a plane out of that, right? And I think Amazon, what's funny about this is what they're really doing, or one way of thinking about what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how to compete with themselves, yeah. right? Like, how do they create stores that compete with the browsing experience? And they're sending some signals about what they think that might be. And one is convenience to Amazon Go. Turkey sandwich, you need it right there. You're not even the prime two-hour window thing. Like, that's not going to help you. You need a turkey sandwich or a Coca-Cola. You want it right there. So there's something just to being around. And maybe what the Amazon Go situation is. The bookstore is about, I don't know, curation and data, right? This is what we think these people are going to buy in this particular place. And this one is really about consumer feedback, Like, what do people like? Let's show you all this stuff. And it's just kind of a random experience, which makes me think, like, if I'm Barnes & Noble and I'm thinking, how how do I want to keep with Amazon? Could you learn anything from what Amazon's doing to compete Mm. with itself to to build a a concept store? You know, I think that one of the really surprising things here, or it continues to be surprising to me, that Amazon cares about physical retail yeah at all like from right. like you know the long narrative of amazon at least the one that like the, the the media has told and the one that consumers have written together um has been that amazon is about dominating online and their domination online the convenience and the pricing that they can offer has mm. taken like they have taken out a lot of physical retail you know, like mom and pop hardware stores closed yeah, because right. amazon was selling you hammers cheaper online and would ship them to you the next day and then you don't have to go to the store so if they've like obviated the need to go to the store but now they're trying to get people to go to the store um, yeah is, or is this even like i don't know because it's hard to know like the amazon go situation they're putting those in high foot traffic areas so they'll buy your turkey sandwich or coke there just people right. are there's like there's a retail need that we cannot meet with our infrastructure and I don't know what to make out of this Soho location. Like flagship stores sometimes exist for a variety of reasons that aren't about the selling of the goods in that store. This could just be to remind people that star rating, shopping by star rating on Amazon is a thing you can do mm-hmm. and it works, mm-hmm. right? So it's not even that you buy your vacuum cleaner here. You're like, you know what? Four star vacuum cleaners on Amazon. Maybe I should go check that out online. I mean, maybe it's that kind of a situation. Maybe so. I think it's really fascinating, though. Like this is like a wire cutter for physical stores. Is kind of what they're saying, right? Like mm-hmm. we're not gonna we're not gonna do the target thing and have like fifty vacuums. Maybe we'll have three that have four stars. Like I think the wire cutter as a physical location is a fascinating idea. Yeah, where you yeah. Go in and like they have the pick. This is our pick. We only mm-hmm. have one thing, and that's it. Um, for that location. So I would uh, that got go there in a heartbeat, the wire cutter. <laughs> if you all don't know about the wire cutter, it started out as a technology only site where they would basically say, here's the laptop to get. Like, this is our pick. Now they have a whole bunch of stuff from cars to car seats to kitchen stuff yeah. to mattresses. And they have some different, like if you want an upgrade pick or a, a slightly slightly expensive pick. But their shtick is, here's the best product in this category for most people. And they give you a long review and they do testing. Like, I think it's great. I buy all kinds of stuff. So of do cutters. I. Like a ridiculous. Um, de- I, I have searched 
the wire cutter for things that I thought like, oh, they probably won't have this. Like, and they do. And they do. Like, <laughs> I, I needed a new digital thermometer for the kitchen of, you know, to like make sure the pork tenderloin was cooked to the right temperature. And I was like, oh, that's so like, that's a tiny item. And it's so specific. They have it. They'll tell yep. you which one is the best. And then if you want a fancy one, which fancy one to spend money on, mm. like yoga mats, blenders, everything. It's amazing. Right. Anyway, this is not a pitch for the wire well, cutter. We, but- ha- we have seen that turn, though. I mean, it's part of a similar turn. We're saying from making everything available everywhere at all times, like the Amazon.com online model, to a, well, once everything is available, selection and price is no longer a value that can be added. You need help. Yeah, and it really helps with right with the just paralysis of choice problem that happens right. online right. when someone is like, "Hey, you know, we've tested a billion of these, and here's mm. the process that we used to determine the best, and this is the best one." Um, yeah. I picked my mattress this way. And they were like, "Get this yep. brand if you sleep on your side and stomach. Get this brand if you sleep on your back." And it was like done because the mattress mm-hmm. companies won't tell you that they want you to think that their mattress is great for everybody. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So if you're Barnes and Noble and you say, okay, let's look what Amazon is doing to compete with itself, you would say, we want smaller stores mm-hmm. in higher traffic areas that are way, way higher, uh, much more curated. Yes. Like if you're just looking at what Amazon is doing, that would be your thing. And I, that sounds right to me. If I think there's so. a move, that feels right to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I got excited I think... about that. <laughs> I we're just, I don't know. I thought that was fascinating. Just, it is really interesting. We're just going in all yeah. the directions today. But that's, I know. That's... I'm bouncing around our agenda like nobody's business <laughs> while we're on the Amazon tip. An Amazon wholly owned subsidiary of Amazon.com, Audible. Uh, if you don't know that, you should know that. Some people say, well, you know, I hate Amazon, but I, I get my audiobooks to Audible and I'm like, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I have tried this out. Do you have an Apple Watch? Have we talked about I this? don't. I'm uh, like your mm. descriptions of the ways that you have been using yours for audio yes. and voice commands with your um, AirPods have it on yep. my, it's on my li- my wish list for Santa this year now. Yeah. Well, there's a new, um, I have an Apple Watch Series 3 came out last year. The new Apple Watches came out Series 4, but this one is, there's a new operating system that I think goes back to, at least to my generation of watches. Now we're really getting over the tech things I don't know about, but one thing that you can do now that you weren't able to do before is basically download an audiobook or if you use a podcast player podcasts onto your Apple Watch and so you can play them back without needing your phone. So I don't like to run though I do it. One thing that makes me le- uh, less uh, hostile to the idea of physical movement of any kind is if I can listen to an audiobook or a podcast and I don't like carrying my phone around in my exercise shorts. Like I can just go out or I can just go to walk to the grocery store. I'm trying to be less tied to my phone mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. Like I deleted Twitter yesterday finally and that felt so good. Mm. Uh, it was a day to do it. Um, and like I need notifications because I want to keep track of, you know, if Michelle, something's going on with Michelle, something's going on at work, something's going on with the kids' school especially. Like I really can't be out of pocket for 45 minutes or let me put it this way. I don't want to be. But I also don't want to have my phone because if I'm checking my whatever as I get distracted. So I, I like this. I can still have the the crucial top level things that my phone gets me, which in my daily life are really my audiobooks, my podcasts, and my notifications. I can make a phone call, I can set a timer, I can check the weather. But this is really cool. Like I was just listening to um, uh, "Educated" by Tara Westover, mm, which oh my god, that's a story. 
Woo, baby. I wasn't anyway, that's a wholly separate thing. But it's really cool to like put in you can do it with a variety of Bluetooth headphones, I should say. But the AirPods are built to go with it and they're super great and I've had mine for a year and I love them. Anyway, it's really cool. It really works great. I I, I this is one of those in the terms of like mobile computing and really thinking about what you want on your body, it gets me to really rethink my relationship with my phone. Like how much mm-hmm. do I actually need my phone? Like the Apple Watch is kind of a small phone, yeah, uh, which is fascinating. So, what do you think? About, you were interested in just this. You're like, that's it's going on your like pro list of your pro con. Yes, yeah, it's thing. just yeah. it's going on my pro list. I love audiobooks mm-hmm. and having access to that, but also the same. Like I, I've said before, like my you know I don't commute. I don't have much time in the car, so yeah. my audiobook listen. It takes me forever to listen to an audiobook because it's like you know five minutes to the grocery store, that's five right. minutes back. Um, and I would listen like taking walks, but I don't like having my phone on me mm-hmm. when I'm taking a walk. So the idea of this, like, I think I would just get an Apple watch and turn off all the notifications to everything and just use it as a very smart way to access material that I want to access, but not be pingable <laughs> in that time. Yeah. Also trying to change yeah, that would, my I relationship mean, to my cool. phone. I think I can see... It's a little, I mean, I've got big wrists and the new ones are a little bit bigger. I could see a world in which, like, I wear a watch that's somewhere between the size of a, a modern Apple Watch and, like, an old iPhone, like mm. a big, like, wrist computer and just not have a, or have a phone, but not not carried around with me all the time like I do yeah. now. Like, it's in my pocket all the time. Yeah. I, and I'm like, not in love with it. And I know I could just get a digital watch. But like, yeah. I I don't wear a watch and usually, and so my phone is how I check the time, but That's I right. also, then I'm like, oh, there's this notification for this thing. Oh, there's the Washington post. Like, you know, here comes my afternoon heart attack. Mm-hmm. Like I, right. you know, I think, <laughs> like, yeah. I think, um, I think I'm, I'm closely following what's going on with the Apple watches and being able to, um, being yeah. able to access book related material on them is compelling to me if you use these if you use one of these for let us know your pros and cons we can talk about it. i'm not i'm not proselytizing i think i think a lot of us are rethinking our relationship with technology writ large mm-hmm. but our phones especially and just like a phone is sort of that's a misnomer for what that device is in your pocket like it's a pocket computer this right. is a wrist computer yeah. but because the screen is small you're not likely or i am not likely to like go screw with it while I'm, you know, trying to procrastinate or I'm between tasks or something else. Like I find, you know, I just don't, I just don't look at my watch and like refresh Twitter or go check out 538 to see what the generic ballot is doing or something like that. Like I just don't. So I can let go of that, but keep the things I like about being in contact in the top level ways I like to be in contact, but mm-hmm. also do the things that I like. I mean, keeping in contact is uh, for me a necessity with my phone, but the the benefits, like the fun things are the podcasts and the, the audiobooks. And this, this lets me do that. I think it's really cool. It's, it's a good product. It really is. They're expensive. I have to say that. They're not cheap. Um, so watch out for that. Literally watch out for it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Should we do another? Let's do our, yeah, let's do our last sponsor. sponsor. Let's do Great Courses Plus. Okay, tell me you about know, the it. nice The nice thing about the Great Courses Plus, you can take it with you. That's a good thing to do on your phone. Mm-hmm. You can learn something and not freak yourself out. Um, The Great Courses Plus app, let me tell you about it real quick. They've got, look, they've got all kinds of stuff you can get on there. The last one we did, The Heroes of Literature, that's a really good um, 
uh, Don Quixote, you know, all the way to Moby, uh, Ahab and Moby Dick, you can find out, see literature through a lens of the hero. So if you enjoy learning and deep diving into fascinating stories, which if you're listening to a podcast about books, I'm going to just say probably you are. The Great Courses Plus gives you unlimited access to thousands of videos in virtually any category. You can watch videos or stream the audio no matter where you are or what you are doing. Brush up on world history on the commute home. Explore the solar system while taking a walk. Whoever wrote that line gets a, gets a plus. I like that. The Great Courses Plus has a wonderful course that we recommend called Heroes and Legends. That's the one I was talking about before. I was trying to remember the name off the top of my head without the notes. I failed. The most influential characters in literature, Don Quixote. Sherlock Holmes, how they reflect the history values and the cultural changes during the time in which they were written. Also, Sherlock Holmes and Don Quixote were written over many different years and were so influential that they started influencing themselves. That's one of the funny <laughs> stories about Don Quixote is like, quick aside. So in the part one, Don Quixote came out in two volumes. The first volume, Don Quixote, blah, blah, blah. The second volume came out a couple decades later. But since there was no copyright, people started writing their own sequels to Don Quixote that weren't Cervantes. And... There's there's all these different versions, and so in the second volume of Don Quixote, Don Quixote, written by Cervantes, excuse me, there's one in my throat, meets what he calls the false Don and the false Sancho, which is our Don Quixote and Sancho Panza from a different version of Don Quixote. They meet that character in real in the in the. It's a mind meta postmodern thing, and it's 16th century. That's how cool some of, looking at some of these characters are. So that's the kind of thing you can find out, say, in Heroes and Legends through the Great Courses Plus. So you go to greatcoursesplus.com slash book riot and you can give get a free trial with unlimited access that's right free trial unlimited access the great courses plus.com slash book riot go get started today i feel like we've done all follow-up but i don't know <laughs> all right? we've done all, sort of like we wrapped there's in just, new stories into existing follow-up yeah there's just not this was a pretty quiet book world mm -hmm. news week which frankly is fine with me um yeah, right. it is banned books week we are on the day that we're recording this this is the last day of banned books week um but i think it's worth mentioning there was a story out in publishers weekly at the beginning of the week that penguin random house partnered with we need diverse books on a social media campaign as part of its support for banned books week all the publishers usually do something for banned books week um, it's a great way to call attention to the books that they sell that have been historically challenged or banned and and making those available this is I think the first time that this has happened, um, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I do think this is the first time that PRH has partnered with We Need, we Need Diverse Books for Banned mm. Books Week to call I special... I don't remember it myself. Yeah. yeah, to call special attention to um, censorship that has historically... like it Attempts to ban and challenge books have historically targeted... Um, disproportionately books by people of color and, uh, you know, L LGBTQ writers, members of marginalized groups. Um, and every year when we get the list of like the 10 most banned books or most frequently mm. challenged books from the ALA, many of those are books by people of color or books that contain LGBTQ related content or, you know, difficult discussions about race, that kind of thing. Um, so, I think this is a, it's a small thing, but I think it's also significant in that there was originally kind of a, a not quite adversarial, but like adversarial adjacent relationship between 
uh, not relationship, but publishers had kind of an adversarial response to We Need Diverse Books at the very beginning. Like, clearly there was a... Defensive? Is that fair? Yes, defensive is the word. Defensive is the word I was looking for. I heard you short. Thank you. Yes. Um, Yeah, defensive is exactly the word that I was looking for. That, like, I think publishers knew they were getting called on a problem that was real, but it doesn't feel good to get called on a problem, even if you know it's real. And there's not much you can do about it quickly. And it took publishing a long time to acknowledge that the message that We Need Diverse books has is based on real data and a a real problem that exists. So it's important to see them partnering with this organization and also acknowledging um, that there is this relationship between being a writer of color, being a writer from a marginalized group, and the increased likelihood that your books will be banned or challenged. This is a political, like, this is a politically loaded move, even though it's not a it's not waving a giant flag. And we talk about how books and reading are inherently political, have always been inherently political, but publishers have been historically reticent to acknowledge that reality. And I don't know that, you know, that this is a product of like 2018, except that a couple weeks ago we had PRH partnering with an organization to get out the vote. So we're, mm-hmm. I think that we are seeing more deliberately political action. Uh, coming out yeah. of big five publishers in a way that I think is really encouraging. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's my, that is my top line read on this. And yeah, why I think I it, wanted is, to bring it, it is up. super interesting. Um, you know, what's, there's a, there's an old Oscar Wilde quote. I, I'm going to mess it up, but like that, those books that the world call, calls immoral are those books that show the world at shame, which I think there's truth to that, right? Is mm-hmm. the same defensiveness that PRH may be felt by we need diverse books are some, I think there's a related feeling a related motivation in banning books that call out, challenge, question, mm-hmm. um, condemn the status quo or, or the dominant ideology. So it's not dissimilar. It's difficult. I mean, it's difficult. I know as well as anyone, it's difficult not to be defensive when someone crit- critiques your behavior, your attitude, right. your actions. Um, but the, the, the proof of the pudding is that they change. And I think that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Um, we need diverse books has done some amazing work in difficult times. And we've mm-hmm. said over time that to some degree, this is a sign that how, how mainstream within the world of books, the we the, the movement represented by we need diverse books is now that PRH, the, the largest trade publisher is partnering with them explicitly about banned books. Like that's a real sign of change. Now this is where this, I don't think this is the finish line or the promised land, but I think 10 years ago, Eight years ago, six years ago, a story like this would have been very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, it's it's good, but I'm not surprised. I guess is that yeah. fair? Are you surprised yes. about no. this? No, 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 I'm not. So no. that's good. Good work, PRH. Good work. We need diverse, especially need, we need diverse books, especially the Kirkus Prize finalists. Um, it's it's the year of me telling you about books that have been nominated <laughs> for things that I haven't read. We're going to continue oh, with that tip. Um, except I did read Heartland by Sarah Smarsh. I read, and that's it. The Kirkus Prize is relatively new. It's one of the richest literary awards in the world. The prize of 50,000 bestowed annually to authors of fiction, nonfiction, and young readers literature. Uh, it was created to celebrate 85 years of discerning, thoughtful, okay, that's enough shilling for Mm -hmm. Kirkus Reviews, but it's 50K, (laughs) which is ain't bad. Um, Florida by Lauren winners. Yeah, that's the only one I've read. Total. Um, 
I don't know if this book uh, is there any. I guess we always like to see um, inliers and outliers, like things that were m- nominated in multiple spots. Mm-hmm. Um, the Poet X we see again here that was in the uh, National Book Award long list for young people's literature. I think Heartland was on that too, actually, by Sarah yeah. Smart. Yeah, and I think Florida by Lauren Groff was, yes. maybe. And it I was. think Heads of the Colored People mm-hmm. um, by Nafisa Thompson Spires was also there. So if you want to start uh, triangulating, um, get multiple data points of excellence from these long lists. Those are a couple that are appearing on a couple different lists. Um, interesting, I think, This is to one, see... two... Oh, go ahead. I would say interesting to see Severance by Ling Ma come yeah. up on here. I've heard great things about that. Um, I am in the middle of reading Heavy by uh, Kesey Lehman, and that it's fantastic. And it doesn't but, come out for a month, actually. Right. I mean, that one doesn't come out for October. Because <laughs> yeah, I put it on hold at the library. I was like, oh, Lord, that's going to be a while. Um, who is an amazing writer. I'm really mm-hmm. excited to, to read that as well as my year of nonfiction continues. I guess notable, Kirkus, you know, they read, they, they review a whole bunch of books. But 50K, sometimes we tell the, the other big American literary prizes for single titles especially don't come with a lot of scratch. Like I think the Pulitzer is like 5K and the mm-hmm. National Book Award is 10K and there's sales and things and prestige and you get your other book. That's fine. But especially in like the YA and nonfiction categories, that 50K is a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money for anyone, but like the fiction titles that win these tend to sell for a long time. Mm-hmm. So they get a little bit more. But 50K, so there's 150K up for grabs here. Um, and that's worth that's worth noting. I mean, I think that's a really interesting job on Kirkus's part. They could award a prize that's a thousand bucks and do the same like pom-pom cheer Kirkus take a look at us thing they didn't have to i don't think they had to spend that much money but i think they really wanted to make a mm-hmm. difference in a writer's life yeah. and this, that amount of money really does um, so i wanted to call that out too yeah speaking of big money and i think this is a happy note oh yeah to this end is a good on. note to end on yeah nice little happy news um for the last several years james patterson has funded a holiday bookstore bonus program for independent booksellers around the country this year he's contributing two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the program oh. in partnership with the american booksellers organization to distribute bonuses um, that are granted in amounts ranging from seven hundred and fifty dollars to fifteen hundred dollars to individual booksellers um there's a grant application that you can fill out if you want to nominate an independent bookseller that you appreciate. And the nominations have been extended through October 12th. So if you're listening and you're thinking about your favorite bookseller Mm -hmm. and you would like them to get a holiday bonus, um, an extra $750 or $1,500 or anywhere in between can make a huge difference Mm -hmm. to basically any person. uh, Mm -hmm. And nice to have that at the holidays. So Check the link in the show notes and get that nomination in before October 12th. Um, This is a lot of people are going to get these. In 2016, 149 booksellers got bonuses. In 2015, 87 booksellers got bonuses. Um, So there's a good chance, you know, lots of competition probably, but there's a really good chance that um, you could be putting a little tip in, or a pretty big tip in the pocket of your your favorite bookseller this holiday season. So also a couple of hot tips. Sometimes, Again, I've been a part of things where we're taking applications. A lot of times extending the deadline means there may not be as many applications yeah, as they right. had hoped for. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, maybe maybe something to look for. Also, all past recipients are eligible and you can nominate yourself. So if you're a bookseller, good. Mm-hmm. get in there. Your, just, just do it. I'm telling you it's fine. 
J-Pat's telling you it's fine because it's in the rule, but I'm telling you it's fine. Go just take a minute to do you it. You deserve a bonus. Scratch. You know it. Yes. And if you've ever won this or know someone who has, let us know. We won't, and if you don't want us to talk about it, I just like to... I just like to know if anyone out there has heard of the people or you know they've been nominated or. What's oh yeah, going on. last year they released the list, and we I think I looked at it. I don't remember if we talked about it on the mm-hmm. show, but like we we have both known some people who have won it. Maybe. You oh yeah, I remember that. just yeah. like people out there <laughs> yeah, yeah. may know if like if you've yeah. nominated someone that went on to win. Um, maybe we'll do another reminder next week. I sure like yeah. um, people listening to the show to to get their names out there. I know there's a lot of booksellers out there. Uh, I think that's our show. That's I think we're done. It's been a week. Yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> Um, I didn't we ask for any specific feedback? Do we have what do people mm. want to email us? I guess we didn't really get any. Yeah, if you know I a bookseller mean, that won this, I guess. That if one. you have a different conspiracy theory about Murakami withdrawing oh, from the alternate good. Nobel, and if you did make it out to that um, Barnes and Noble in Maryland, the new concept, or you make it to the four star Amazon thing, if you're right. kicking around Soho. I'd like to know more about that as well. Podcast at bookriot.com. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today, including our great sponsors in our show notes. That's either on your podcast player of choice or at bookriot.com slash listen. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.